Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. If you're new today, we're in a series on the book of Acts that we've entitled Power Today, and we come to Acts chapter 3, where the title of the message is The First Miracle, But Not the Last. The First Miracle, But Not the Last. What we see in chapter 3 through chapter 5 is really an illustration of what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 through 47. Those verses, we'll bring them up on the screen here, are a summary of how the church functioned in the midst of this move of God. Then we see an illustration of it in the life of the church in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. We're going to learn about the apostles' teaching. We're going to see it in chapter 3, Peter's amazing sermon. We're going to watch as they fellowship in chapter 4. We're going to, we're going to see that play out. And in chapter 5, as they share their possessions... We're going to watch them today go to prayer. We're going to see them in chapter 4 pray. We're going to see a lot of praying happen because the key to God's power is you and I need to be in God's presence, right? So they're a praying church. And then in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And so we open up Acts chapter 3 and we see an amazing story of healing that is designed to not only tell us what God did 2,000 years ago, but is designed to encourage us to build our faith, to cause us to say, wow, that's what God does today. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did yesterday, he's doing today. What he's doing today, he's going to do in the future. You and I can know that Jesus Christ is the same. His power is the same. His love for people is the same. His desire to use people is the same. His desire to build the church is the same. And so as we read this, it's very, very encouraging, very, very instructive for us. What I'd like us to do is divide the chapter up into three areas. All of it has to do with miracles. We're going to look at prayer and miracles. Then we're going to look at Jesus' name and miracles. And then we're going to look at evangelism and miracles. So number one, prayer and miracles. There's a huge connection. It almost is so axiomatic, it would go without saying that there's a big connection between prayer and miracles. When you read the book of Acts, and Acts is written by Luke, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, there's a connection between prayer and receiving, prayer and miracles. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. We'll see it in Acts chapter 3. We'll see it again in Acts chapter 10 at, at the hour of prayer. And there's miraculous things that are happening. We'll see it in Acts chapter 12. The church is in a prayer meeting and miraculous things happen. There is a direct connection between you and I calling on God, seeking God, asking God, and God working. Why? Because he's a God who answers prayer. 
We're going to see that, Acts chapter 3. Let's look at it, verse 1. Peter and John, so this is the same Peter and John who are part of the original 12 disciples that Jesus called, went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. So when you read Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to prayer, and it wasn't just their own personal prayer time. This is one of the things that I think trips up a lot of Christians, honestly. They somehow think, excuse me, my voice is changing, finally, <laughs> at age 59. So, <laughs> okay. What trips up a lot of people is they have the idea that if they have God in them, that's all they need. Somehow they don't need the community of believers. That if they have their own personal prayer time, they don't need the prayer meeting. That's not true. You're going to see a direct correlation between the believers gathering corporately for prayer and the power of God being evidenced through them and among them. Here's Peter and John. They of all people could say, hey, Jesus taught me how to pray. I saw him pray. I don't need to go to a prayer meeting. I can pray by myself. I can stay home and pray as easily as I can pray at the prayer meeting and maybe with less distraction." But they understand there's a value in corporate prayer. There are some things God will only do in our personal prayer time. Then there are some things God will only do at the prayer meeting. It's not either or, it's both and. They're going to the temple for the prayer service. And to help us understand and bring you, a, bring you kind of give you an idea, this is the temple at the time of the book of Acts, the time of Jesus. It was built by Herod the Great. So this whole plaza area, this plateau, it was, it's man-made, and at the time, it was the largest ever made in the world of that time. It's 15 football fields in size. So it's massive. In the center is the temple. Only the priests go in the temple. No, people didn't go. It wasn't like a, a church today where people come and sit in the auditorium. So people, the priests were in the temple, but you would have, this is the court of the Gentiles. This area here is the court of women. Then back past this gate is the court of Israel or the court of men. It would be back in there that the, that the priests would offer the sacrifices. So here's a little diagram that kind of shows you. So the, again, you have an entrance into the court of women. This is where the widow's might would have been given. Then you have this gate. This is the court of Israel. You've got the priest's courtyard back in behind there. Here is the altar where the sacrifices are burned. So twice a day at 9 o'clock and at 3 o'clock. Nine in the morning, three in the afternoon. The priest is going to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. As the lamb is being offered up, another priest is going to take some of the hot coals off the altar. He's going to go inside into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place, and he is going to take and he's going to put the hot coals on the altar of incense. He's going to sprinkle incense on those hot coals. There's going to be smoke that's going to go up from that, symbolic of the prayers of the people, because the people are all out here and they're praying. In fact, here's a picture of, of the inside of the holy place. So the altar of incense and the smoke rises up, and this is the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. 
Peter and John are there so that they can be a part of the prayers of the people. It is a prayer meeting. These are men who pray. What's interesting about this and should be encouraging for everybody who's reading this passage is that these were men who maybe two months ago, maybe three months ago, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but not very much time. These are men who couldn't watch and pray with Jesus for even one hour. But now all of a sudden, they are men who are devoted to prayer, which says something. There are some today, and, and as I start talking about prayer, you're saying, I'm not very good at that. I, I don't seem to be a person of prayer. And so immediately, the enemy loves it because he wants you to discount yourself from the presence of God and from the power of God. So God can change you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Ask God, God, help me to become a person of prayer and watch what he'll do. It would be the heart of God. It would be the will of God. And people can change by the power of God and go from being a person who couldn't pray to a person who does pray. That's Peter and John. And now we read in the book of Acts all kinds of things about them. In fact, in Luke, when after Jesus ascends, and he goes up into heaven. Look, they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Now all of a the sudden, they recognize the value of being in the presence of the Lord. We read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, they constantly were in prayer. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 4, they raised their voices together in prayer. In Acts chapter 6, there's a problem among the believers and the apostles say, listen, We'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. We'll have other people solve the problems so we can pray. Acts chapter 10, about noon. This is just Peter in the middle of his day. Peter is waiting to eat lunch, and so he has a few minutes. So what does he do? He goes and he prays. Why? Because they recognize the value of prayer. They're, they're people who pray. Jesus said, ask, that's prayer and you'll receive. Prayer is the key to receiving everything you and I need from God. It's very interesting though to me that the first miracle in the book of Acts happens on the way to prayer meeting. It happens as they're going up to the time of prayer. Because when you and I pray, powerful things will happen. That leads us to a second thing. Let's call this Jesus' name and miracles. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 3 and verse 2. They approached the temple, or as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. This man has never walked. We're going to see in a moment that he has, he's 40 years old. So for 40 years, he has never walked. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. We have a little diagram here that we'll kind of show you. And so it's either the gate of Nicanor, scholars are divided. Some have said this is the beautiful gate and that's the gate of Nicanor. Most scholars seem to believe it's this gate that he was put at. It doesn't really matter, it's somewhere in there. It's a gate the apostles walked through. 
We don't know if this was the first time they saw him or if they had seen him before. The scripture doesn't comment on it, so we, we don't know exactly what the backstory is on that. We do know Acts 4.22, it tells us this, the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I want, to I want you to pause for just a moment because sometimes we read the stories, we move a little too fast. Imagine you're that man. For 40 years, you've never been able to walk. You've never been able to run. You've never been able to leap anywhere you've gone. You've had to have somebody carry you. For 40 years, your source of income is whatever people will give you. So you're asking for alms, you're asking for, for gifts, for offerings from the people, for income, gold, silver, coins from the people as they're going into worship so that you can buy food to live. Acts chapter 3 and verse 3, it says this, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked intently at him. It's a very interesting word, looked intently at him. We get our word attention from it. Luke uses this 10 times, this word 10 times in the book of Acts and uses it multiple times in the gospel of Luke and it's only used one other time in the whole New Testament. So it's a, it's a word that Luke almost exclusively uses. What I want to suggest to you is happening in that moment is it's a moment where Peter and John see the beggar, he sees them, and I would suggest to you that when this word is used, that it's a moment of discerning the voice of the Lord and thinking about what is it that God's going to do in this moment. You'd understand that, wouldn't you? If you've ever had the Lord speak to you in a moment about praying for somebody, or if you've ever, you know, for example, and it just from personal experience, there's times that, that the Lord will put a word in your heart for somebody or in a situation could be the service. And invariably there's that moment where you are, you're weighing that out before the Lord because you don't, you wanna, you don't wanna do what he's not doing, but you wanna do what he is doing, right? Lord, is that you? Lord, is, am I hearing you right? Lord, are you really? Because I think in that moment, God is saying, I want to heal that man. And Peter and John are looking at him. They're looking at the man. They're listening to the voice of God. And all of this is happening in just milliseconds in their mind. As they're watching him, the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. How does it happen? In the name of Jesus. There is power in Jesus' name. Later, Peter's going to explain this miracle. Listen to what he says, Acts 316, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. As you can all see, it's in the name of Jesus. 
In fact, when you go through chapters three, four, and five, the name of Jesus is repeatedly mentioned. It's mentioned in chapter three, verse six, three, verse 16, chapter four, verse seven, chapter four, verse 10, chapter four, verse 12, chapter four, verses 17 and 18, chapter four, verse 30, chapter five, verse 28, chapter five, verses 40 through 41, all talk about the name of Jesus. This is a very, very important concept. Peter says, we didn't do it. It's not our power. It's not our godliness. It's not who we are. It's not what we can do. But it's through the name of Jesus and through the faith that comes through that name that this man was healed. This is something that Peter is not the initiator of. Something Jesus talked a great deal about. In John chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus said, and this is on the night he's betrayed. This is, this is the end of his ministry. He's, he's teaching the disciples. He's telling them what they need to remember, what they need to know. He says, I tell you the truth. If Jesus says, I tell you the truth, what do you know? It's true. If Jesus tells you, I tell you the truth. That means, listen up, heads up, pay attention. You might have been zoning out. You might have been thinking about whatever it is you're going to do. You might have been thinking, man, I'm so tired from that meal. I could take a nap. Jesus saying, snap two. Don't miss this. This is worth writing down. This is worth committing to memory. This is important. Anyone. Not just pastors, not just Bible college students, or not just super spiritual people. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. What had Jesus been doing? He had been proclaiming the gospel. He was saying things and he was doing things. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He says, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You can't do greater things until you've done what he's, what he's done, right? I'm just simply saying to you that even in his words, there is a progression of power to be experienced in the life of the believer. We talked last time about the fact that as, as we're moving through this season or moving into this season, that we're really in what I would call the infancy of this move of God that is gaining strength and momentum. We haven't seen all that God is going to do. We haven't, we would, we would be, we would be remiss. We would be, we would be making a massive mistake if we began to say, well, this is what God is doing right now, as if that's all God is going to do. Today it's a broken arm. Tomorrow it's somebody getting out of a wheelchair. Today. It's somebody that's being healed in their hearing. Tomorrow it's somebody who's being healed of Parkinson's. Today it's this, tomorrow, because there's a progression there. That God has designed for you and I, 
what we're seeing now, learn from it, participate in it, step out in faith, watch what God will do. Now watch this, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. That's an amazing statement. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Jesus says, I'm all about glorifying the Father. And you know, when you ask in my name, he is going to, God the Father is gonna get all kinds of glory. So whatever you ask in my name, I will do. In case you missed that, in case you're one of those people who in speed reading skip sentences, Jesus says, you may ask, me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's amazing. If I weren't a Christian, that verse would make me want to be one. Now, here's what happens. As I'm saying that, there's some of you, and you're kind of doing like those pharmaceutical commercials. You know, where they tell you like this pill or or this thing, it will, it will take care of this disease in your life. And then what happens is you have the, the, the little voice that they speed up and it says, may cause diarrhea, insomnia, may cause heart attack, may cause death, may lose your, your mind, your family, your wealth, you may lose everything, but please take this pill and call your pharmacy. If you can't pay for it, we'll pay for it. You know what I mean? It's that. <laughs> That's the way, unfortunately, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be unkind to you. I'm just saying, Jesus didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. So why are you doing it? If anybody would want to be clear, it's Jesus. If anybody would want to, would be able to explain what Jesus meant by, do you realize there is nothing in the New Testament that clarifies that statement that says, now we know Jesus said that, but, you know, they're not like what, you know, and try to explain it way, try to make it where it's safe. There's nothing safe about this. You can ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Jesus lets that verse stand on its own without qualification, without explanation. He says, this is the power of coming to God the Father in the name of the Son. There's a power in this. There's power in the name of Jesus. Lest they didn't get it in chapter 14. Read, read on what, what happens. Chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He'll give you what? Whatever you ask in his name. Who? The Father. We pray to the Father, our Father who art in heaven. We pray in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of God doing all that God does. Chapter 16, we read this. 
in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. This is all the same sermon. This is all the same conversation. This is all Jesus on the night before the night he is betrayed, just moments before he's betrayed. He's saying, I need you to get this. I want you to remember this. He says it in chapter 14, verse 13. He says it in chapter 14, verse 14. He says it in chapter 15, verse 16. He says it in chapter 16, verse 23 and verse 24. Why? Because it's true. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you believe that? And if you don't, why? Because he's saying it over and over and over again. Could it be that your theology isn't being shaped by Jesus, but has been shaped by disappointment and by doubt and by a dead faith? In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. I, I, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He doesn't say, my Father will give you now, let me just explain this. My father will give you, you know, if it's not this and not this and not this and it's not, you don't got this going. No, whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive. Ask. It couldn't be more simple. If it's complicated to you, it's because you've gotten away from the words of Jesus. Ask. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened unto you. And in case we didn't believe it on that, he says it then with this. Forever keeps on asking, receives. To him who knocks the door, it will be opened unto him. Listen, he says, listen, whoever does it, this is how it works. Now, I want you to notice something implied in this that I think a lot of Christians don't understand. And it, it's this, it is unnatural for us to be in a relationship with God where we don't receive. You were made, you were designed as a believer to receive from him. You were made for answered prayer. You were made to ask and receive, to seek and to find, to knock and have it open. You were designed that way. Our relationship is designed that way. Notice, ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. The thing that gives Christian's joy is answered prayer. Nothing makes you happier than I prayed about this and I saw God do this, I saw God do this, I saw God do this, I saw God do this. I, saw. I mean, the reason why, honestly, and again, I, I don't have an ax to grind. I, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you what it says. The reason why a lot of people don't have joy is they don't have answered prayer. And a lot of the reason why they don't have answered prayers is because they never prayed. Because James says, you have not because you ask not. Ask and you'll receive. Ask in the name of Jesus 
Asking in Jesus' name essentially means, Jesus, I'm asking because I believe this is what you would do. So how do we know what we would do, what he would do? We read the Gospels. We look at what he did. When he saw sick people, he healed them. When he saw people who were oppressed, he delivered them. I mean, Jesus said this. If you want to know what the will of God is, when the disciples were asking how to pray, Jesus said that what we're supposed to pray for, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever it is like in heaven, that's what we want to pray for on earth. So we pray for people who are sick on earth because in heaven there's no sickness. We pray for people be, to be delivered on earth because in heaven everybody's delivered. We pray for people who are experiencing lack on earth because in heaven there's no lack. People, everything's taken care of. We would pray for our needs and we can know what the will of the Father is because what's in heaven is what God is asking for us to believe and ask for on earth. And this is so important because honestly, when it comes to praying for sick people, here's what happens. A lot of people get caught up in themselves. Honestly, they become very self-centered in their thinking. Again, I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not, hey, in a lot of ways, if I point one finger at you, I've got three pointing back at me, okay? But I'm suggesting that what circumvents a lot of people's prayer life is an unhealthy focus on themselves. Let's start. You say, what do you mean? I'm not spiritual enough. I mean, I mean who am I to, how can I ask God to heal this person over here? I mean, I'm not the perfect person. I'm not the, that's what you're thinking to yourself. You know what Peter and, and John are going to say to the people when the man is healed? Why do you look at us as if by our, it's, it's, I think it's in verse 12 of Acts 3, why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness we have healed this man? You see, a lot of people get caught up. I'm not advocating, listen, I'm not advocating a powerless and ungodly life. It's... It's frustrating to see people who, who name the name of Christ and live overtly ungodly lives. That's, I mean, we all can agree that's not good, right? But at the end of the day, what Peter is saying is it's not my godliness and it's not my power that healed this man. It's not because you've been really, really crushing it in your Bible reading and your serving God, that God's gonna answer that prayer. It's because of Jesus' name and the faith that comes through that name that that person's gonna be healed. It's, it's Jesus' name. People will get caught up in that or, or people will feel like they don't have enough faith. You know, and honestly what can happen I would suggest that many times, the less you know about a situation, the better. Because I think sometimes you, 
there's so much inquiry that goes into the person's medical woes that your faith is not strong enough to overcome that. It actually depresses your faith the more you know. Well, the doctor said this, and then I went to this doctor, and they said that, and then I went to this doctor, and they said that, and then I had, oh, I had this extenuating condition, and you know, they're saying this, and they're saying, and then you're like, oh, Jesus, help me. I'm gonna have to go pray some more before I can pray. You know, you know what I'm saying? Better to jump in. You say, but I don't think I have the faith. How do you know? You know, here's what people do, and here's where delay diminishes the effectiveness of prayer. God puts it in your heart. Go pray for them. Go do it. You say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. You may pray for them. You know what? I have prayed for people at times and seen God do things, and I didn't think at the time I had the faith only to discover that I really did. You can think sometimes you don't have enough faith, that you have to have more faith. But Jesus said you only need a little tiny speck of faith if it's the real thing. You only need faith the size of a mustard seed if it's the real thing, and you can move mountains. You can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. Don't need a lot of faith if it's the real thing. But people sit there and say, well, I don't have faith to pray for that. I don't have faith to pray. Listen, here's what happens. Power follows boldness. Be bold. Step out. Don't sit there and weigh it all out. What if, what if, what if, what if? And here's what happens as I'm saying this. Some of you are saying, you know, John, what you are, what you are advocating is you are advocating for people to do nutty things. <laughs> you know where I'm at on that? Bring it on. I mean, honestly... I'm, more wor I'm less worried about people doing nutty things than I am about people doing nothing. I mean, too many people are too comfortable doing nothing. And the, ch and, and the churches are full of it. It's not until we step out in faith. It's not until we say, listen, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to strip it down. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to believe that God is a God who heals. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to pray for people and believe God's going to do something and that he's going to show up. And guess what? He is. So what happens is people are concerned about, well, I'm not spiritual enough, I don't have enough, enough faith, and so they pray weak prayers. Rather than just saying, listen, it's not me, it's him. It's not my power, it's his power. I'm simply a conduit for passing through what he has already done. Listen, do you realize that at the cross, Jesus purchased our healing? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, look at this. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He's already purchased our healing. So what happens, and this helps me, I'll tell you something that helps me when I'm praying for people. So I realize, I realize you know what, listen, I can obey my way into great faith. Quit thinking about whether I got the faith. Just obey. Just when you sense it, do it. Move on it and watch God work in response to that. And second, quit worrying about 
about how much power. It's not my power. It's his power. All I am is a conduit. It would be like this. Let me give you this illustration. Let's say that, that um, you're in a situation where you're up against it financially. You owe $100,000. If you don't get the $100,000 in, in a month, you're going to go into all kinds of default and get sued and all these kind of things. And so like, you're just like, oh, Jesus, I got to have $100,000 and I don't know where I'm going to get it. And so all of a sudden, there's somebody in the church. They hear about your plight. They think you're a great person and they decide they're going to write a check for $100,000. So they come to me. And they say, you know, Pastor John, I know about so-and-so and their situation. I just feel sick about it. Um, I am leaving town, but I want to make sure we're going to be out of town for a while. I want to make sure they get the check. I, here's a check for $100,000 made out to them. And would you give it to them? Absolutely. I'd love to. I mean, I get the joy of giving the $100,000 check. I didn't have to come up with $100,000. I didn't write the check. My name's not on the check. My signature's not on the check. I had nothing to do with actually generating the funds. All I'm doing is just handing the funds from this person to this person. Listen, that's how it is. I, you didn't generate the power. It's not your power. It's not your godliness. You didn't pay for the healing. You're just simply taking and giving what he paid for, what he wrote in his blood, what he accomplished on the cross, and you're just handing it to somebody in Jesus' name and saying, I'm so glad I can give this to you because he wanted you to have it because he loves you so much. Amen? Come on, let's put our hands together. That's how it works. So, it's, it's in Jesus' name. Now let's look at verse 6, chapter 3. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now I want you to notice something, because I want to challenge you practically speaking. Almost every Christian wants to pray for whatever it is, like so, it's like you, you, you need to, somebody needs healing and you're going to pray for them. Jesus, I, I pray. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just suggesting to you, if you read through the Gospels and you look at the book of Acts, that is not generally what happens. There has to come a place in our maturity in Christ and our growth in Christ and our development in Christ where you're, you move from requesting in your prayer life to decreeing in situations. Where you've spent enough time in the presence of the Lord that you can command the power of God. Where you realize certain things, whether it's an illness, you realize that it's, that, you know, there's, about a third of the illnesses in the gospel are caused by an evil spirit. It doesn't mean that person's demonized. It means there's an evil spirit behind that illness. And the way to address that is to rebuke the evil spirit. 
So like somebody, I've, I've told this story before, somebody came up on a Wednesday night, said they had a, a situation, and as I'm sitting there, I said, it's dark, I've never met them before, they explained their situation, seemed like a very nice couple, but as we're there, they say, would I pray for them? I said, absolutely, and, and so right when I'm getting ready to pray, the Lord puts in my heart, this situation is the result of an evil spirit. Well, you know, that's kind of a, uh, you're like, if I say this, it's dark, and you know, I don't know them, they don't, you know, I don't know how long they've come here, and they're gonna think, what? <laughs> but I felt like I have a choice. If they want to be better, I've gotta rebuke. So I did. Lord, I rebuke the spirit that is causing this and command you in Jesus' name to leave him. Sunday, they were so excited. He'd been completely healed. Two weeks later, completely healed. I'm just simply suggesting to you that that is a part of, of healing. It's not everything, but it is, it is something, and it's something we see. And I know for some people, that's, that's hard to process, and you're like, whoa, you're, all of a sudden you're commanding everything. Not everything, but some things. We see it in the Bible. Saints throughout the ages have understood this to be true. Martin Luther, who, who kicked off the Reformation in Germany, received word that his friend and colleague, Frederick Myconius, lay dying in the last stages of tuberculosis. He then penned a letter to Myconius in which he said, I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. If that seems shocking, consider this, that Myconius, when he read the letter, thought he said, it was this, as if I heard Christ say, Lazarus, come forth. He was instantly healed and outlived Luther by two months. On another occasion, Luther's close friend and colleague, Philip Melanchthon, became extremely ill and was at death's door. Luther fervently prayed using all the relevant promises from Scripture. As he prayed, a supernatural faith rose up in his heart. He then turned and, taking Melanchthon by the hand, said, Be of good courage, Philip. You shall not die. Melanchthon immediately revived and regained his health. There are times when... It is God's will for you to command the healing to take place. You say, well, how do I know? That's why you walk by the Spirit. That's why you're led by the Spirit. That's why you don't sit there and think it through and work yourself out of obeying God, but God says, command, do it. Step out, do it. Power follows boldness. Power follows boldness. Well, Acts chapter 3 and verse 7. Go back to verse 6 just for a moment. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. What I want you to notice here is the man didn't get up. Peter declared it. The man didn't get up. 
a lot of people would say, see, that old declaring thing doesn't work, does it? Peter declared it, it didn't happen. Other people would say this, because I've heard people say it, when they've seen somebody who's praying for the sick, pull somebody, see, they're trying to pull them up out of the chair. If God had healed them, they could get out of the chair by themselves. That's ridiculous. In the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, get up, look at verse seven. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. Wait, stop, 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 stop. If God's healed him, why are you helping him? Because he needed help. But that didn't negate God's healing power. You see, some people would have said, well, if it was God, Peter shouldn't have had to help him. I've heard people say, if you've watched it, if you've been around Christendom long enough, you've heard those kind of things. And it's always by people who don't want to believe God heals or who only want God to heal in their narrow little box of this is how God moves. Listen, God's going to violate your understanding and God's going to surprise you on more than one occasion when it comes to his moving. And you'll never, you'll never confine him to a box and you'll never get him figured out to where you can say, well, when God moves, it's this way, this way, and this way. Oh, he loves when people say that so that he can show you, um, not quite. It's this way, this way, and this way, right? Some of you are having to think about it. But. Then Peter took the layman by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly. When did the healing happen? As he began to help him up, as he did it, as he was pulling him up. The man was like, wait, I can't walk. I can walk. Instantly healed and strengthened Luke being a doctor. He, he uses medical terms of the day to describe the, the strengthening of the bones and the formation of the tendons and the ligaments. And all of a sudden, the man is standing up. But I mean, you and I know you can take the toddler, you can take the baby, and you can have him stand by the coffee table, but it's a wobbly world. It takes a long time to learn to walk let alone run, let alone leap. Look at this. It says this in Acts chapter 3 and verse 8. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. That's a miracle in itself. All of a sudden, a person who never walked is walking, then walking and leaping and praising God. He went into the temple with them, and all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. I mean, amazing moment. And you know, as I'm reading this, this wasn't in a commentary, but I thought it. I thought, you know what? There had to be somebody in the temple who elbowed their buddy and said, hey, isn't that the guy we just gave money to? I mean, they're like, what, what in the world? <sighs> it's not in any commentary. It's just verse 10. I love it. Then they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate. And they were absolutely astonished. They all rushed out to Solomon's colonnade, which is the portico, the porches around the area of the temple. And Peter begins preaching. And that's evangelism and miracles, because when God does something powerful as the musicians come, then, then he gets the glory, right? 
When God does something powerful, he gets the praise. When God does something powerful, then it's a great opportunity to say there's a God in heaven. You saw this, and it's indicative of the fact that there is a God in heaven who loves you. And what's Peter do? He cuts it straight, and he cuts it quick, and he says, repent that your sins might be forgiven, that times of refreshing might, be, might come from the Lord, and that Jesus might come close to you. When, when people repent, all those things happen, but it starts with a miracle done through the name of Jesus.